Okay, so starting podcast. Okay. <sighs> I, w- I always get like a little bit nervous about this too because it's like... <laughs> You'll do great. <laughs> um, okay. Hi, and welcome to Harajuku Data Lake. My name is Morris, and today we have another super special guest joining us from Kyoto, Japan. This is Christine. Hi, I am in from Kyoto. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And uh, I guess actually, uh, first thing, I, I always forget that we sometimes we actually do get follow-up on previous episodes. Not a lot, but okay. uh, one of the, the little random bits of follow-up that I got the other day was that uh, I had described this this term, bencha uh, kigyo, like, uh, as like kind of the Japanese equivalent of startup. And what somebody actually told me, and the, the way I described it was that uh, it's actually, it's like, well, this is a company that receives venture capital. So in some ways, it's more descriptive than the term startup. But uh, actually, uh, a friend of mine uh, informed me that it's actually no more district- descriptive than the term startup, because even companies that haven't received uh, venture capital funding will be referred to as benchakigyo if, uh, if they're small and up and coming. So, unfortunately, uh, the term startup is a fraught word in both English and Japanese. Okay, so um, let me just, so I actually first met you when I was working at the Apple Store. So I was in, I was doing a master's program in Japan, and I was doing a part-time job at the Apple Store. And when I was there, I didn't actually realize this until later, but I, and I think pretty much everyone else, assumed you were a manager. So... (laughs) Uh, so, and what made you say that? What well, made you think, what made you guys think that? I, uh, you, you had a very professional attitude, and mm. it just seemed like you were kind of in charge. Even if, like, it wasn't that you were bossing people around, but it was like, oh, you know, if I had a problem, oh, sure, I could go to Christine; she would help me out, or um, I, I bet she knows who to talk to. I bet she's dealt with this before. So. Um, actually, what I wanted to have you on today to talk about was a little bit of your management experience and where you're coming from and uh, maybe why we perceived you as a manager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> all the secrets. All the secrets. And yeah. explain tonight. Yes. And ha- how you're doing a different type of management now uh, yes. and uh, where you came from and how you got there. But I, I guess I want to start with in brief uh, the who is Christine. So. Uh, how how would you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Christine Kawano Yuziak, and I was born and raised in Tokyo. I went to a type of school that all my teachers were from Midwest America or uh, Canada. So I sound like I perhaps are from North America, but I actually learned all my English from my teachers in Tokyo. Hmm. And... I went to somewhere called the International School. So I was there um, to, from three and a half to high school. Wow. And then I finally went to America, to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. And then uh, after college, I came back to work. And I've been in Japan since. Maybe a short stint in Korea. But besides that, so yeah, born and raised in Tokyo, uh Worked at multiple cities in Japan, worked with multiple cultures in Asia, and uh, expanded other continents as well. But yeah, most of my life in Japan. 
So I would describe myself as a passionate leader and mm-hmm. passionate educator. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm, go ahead. And uh, so, so what are you doing now? Uh, right now, I'm a grade one teacher at a international school in Kyoto. Okay. And, and what, what were you doing uh, before that and then before that and then maybe sure. before that? Yeah, sure. No problem. <laughs> uh, so currently, I work as an educator. Uh, before that, I worked for Amazon as a training manager. Mm-hmm. And before that, I was a manager at one of the Apple stores in Japan. And before that, I was a, uh, I was a service specialist, as I guess you would say technical support at an Apple store in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And then before that, I was a program manager, as you would say, in corporate uh, Apple. Mm-hmm. And before that, I was in IT support at an international school. So, wow. yeah, so I guess you would say most of my career I spent doing some sort of IT. Perhaps I wasn't the mechanic or engineer, but I was managing the products mm-hmm. or I was teaching about the products or I was a ma- uh, people manager. So I was managing people. So that, okay. that, that is maybe in a nutshell. Yeah, uh, that sounds like a very accurate description of Christine, especially the passionate about education and leadership. Um, the so one one thing I talk so one of the other guests on the podcast, Courtney, um, we talk a lot occasionally about like race and identity, and I don't want this to be like a podcast about identity, but. Mm. Uh, I think it's so interesting that you were born and raised in Tokyo and that you were then but educated by all these Midwesterners. So one of the things about Christine is that a lot of most most people, I think, especially Americans, perceive you as an American. Would you say yes. that's accurate? I would say that's accurate. Um, I don't know if you want to get into it. Do you want to say something about how you perceive, I mean, it, I, I don't want to have you put your entire nut, your entire identity in like a 10 second nutshell, but. No, I usually have to because people often uh, meet me in Japan uh-huh. and the first thing they're wondering is where I'm from. And that's regardless of race and ethnicity, like anybody asks mm. me uh, when I'm in Japan. So not just local Japanese, but uh, people from overseas as well. They ask me, so where where are you from? So so why why is it so important for people to know that? Like like um you know and I definitely ask that too. Like but why why do people want to know? I mean if they're for I mean for example you're you're fluent in English obviously. So yes. Why would it matter whether you're for example from Japan or America or Spain or Germany or wherever? Yeah, I think most times I catch people off guard. So mm. after a couple of sentences, we chat. It's, it's short. It's brief, you know, in a bus, you know, at a cash register, just mm. asking for directions. Um, uh, people often just are caught off guard, perhaps the way I carry myself, uh, mm. the way I dress, the way I look. Uh, so my parents are from an international marriage. My mom is Japanese. My father is American. And I could go on, you know, about their race <laughs> okay. and ethnicity as well. Um, but I I would say, yeah, just the way I carry myself, I think, just the and huh. gestures, uh, the way I look. So everything is, it doesn't 
there's no stereotype that people could make actually. So they ha、mm. they seem to have to ask to really be sure. Like I I guess I when they look at me I seem to maybe encompass like different things because、mm. uh, of my fashion, because of the way I look, maybe because of the way I speak Japanese or the way I speak English. People often are curious. And、mm. I haven't always felt that positive about it, but、mm-hmm. um, I have I have come to think of that as a positive dialogue.、Hmm. Uh, That's interesting. So, I, I mean, I I I don't want to delay the discussion of management for too long. No, you I, can cut later. <laughs>、uh, but no, but I think I think this is actually I think that I think this is super fascinating because it's、Great. about in and I think one of the things you've shared with me before is、um, giving people the short version versus so、yes. you know if if it's somebody who's just going to have like a a one or a five minute in five minute interaction with you, you'll often give you'll let you'll let them believe what they want to in a sense. So it's it's、yes. like.、Um, And not to map this onto like gender and sexuality, but、mm. you know, I've when I was a teenager, I often found you know sexuality to be a very complex thing. But for me, simply saying I'm gay was a really helpful simplification because it didn't really matter about my internal complexities for the purposes of other people.、Uh, gay was the simplest version, and so it was kind of like, and I I don't know. I mean, do you, do you sort of Do you see that with yourself, like presenting different kind of levels of your identity to different people? I'm glad you brought it up because yes, we did talk about this, and yeah, I would say that as much as the person who meets me is processing and trying to figure out like who I am without asking many questions,、mm. I'm also figuring out who that person is and how much future I possibly will have. So whether it's <laughs> You know, ten seconds just by by the crosswalk,、um, uh-huh. or you know, a random kombini, or a colleague, or、mm-hmm. you know, a new friend. So I I am always processing just as much as the person meeting. So yes, you you hit kind of the nail on the head where I do、um, somewhat have a script for、uh, maybe almost. Well, a lot of situations. I don't want to say almost all. You know, <laughs> I haven't met everybody in the world, but、uh-huh. um, yeah, I would say that I have a script for people who I want to perhaps tell them more about me,、mm-hmm. so that they might remember that story and it might help them in the future. And perhaps,、mm-hmm. perhaps I, I try. I, You know, just as much as someone's judging me, I am judging the other person to see if that person might travel in the future or meet someone like me in the future, and、mm. then I make a decision with like how how much I open up. So,、mm. but usually I open up、um, quite immediately with people、mm-hmm. because they're in such a. Usually, I find people in such a state where. They're just like they have way too many questions, so <laughs> I, I sort of try to fill in what usually what people ask. So, where、uh-huh. are you from? I where are your parents? Like people get really personal really fast、uh-huh. uh, because of the way I look,、uh-huh. and it's all right there, you know, like、wow. mixed race, <laughs> and I I've had to just kind of embrace it, I think, and you know I've met a lot of people who are also mixed race in Japan,、mm-hmm. and some of them. Um, might be complacent, more complacent than me about the situation, or more angry about it.、Hmm. But I've chosen to 
just, you know, like maybe as you put it before, try not to define myself and enforce my identity on someone else, but try to have them kind of figure it out and guess. And mm. um, if, if they guess wrong, I'm not, I'm not ditching them quite yet. <laughs> I, I, I just ask them maybe where they're from, which, mm. which they oftentimes if it's local Japanese and they've grown up here and they've only known Japan and Japanese education, just mm-hmm. unlike mine, they often are like, wow, she's asking me where I'm from. Like, I, no one's ever asked me that. And oh. um, yeah, so it's quite interesting conversation after that, usually. Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, um, de- I do have a little bit of that experience where if you're talking in Japanese, people often ask the foreigner where the foreigner is from. But yes. then if you ask the Japanese perceived person where they're from they they, it's like well it's isn't it obvious that i'm from japan why did you ask that question right um i think you're also in a very interesting situation where you can i think um in terms of your appearance both pass as american and pass as japanese in in this way that people like like if you said i i grew up in indiana um i think most people would believe you I think if you said I like am like I am one hundred percent Japanese and I it, it's this interesting thing where well I just said one hundred percent Japanese whatever that means yeah um, <laughs> like because you are one hundred percent Japanese yeah I mean I was born and raised here just different education than than uh, most people my parents are um, you know from two different places one from Japan one from America but. Yeah, I do feel like I belong here and that I'm from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, funny story about what um, about what you were yeah, kinda, go for it. Uh, touching upon. So in one day, I was uh, French and in a separate conversation, American, and in a <laughs> total separate conversation, half Japanese or half, as people often call me here. And yeah, it was a fun day. I just wow. let the person I was talking to just define me. And I was like, sure, sure, sure. And so I was those three things. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was quite, it was, it was fun day. Wow. <laughs> That's, by, by the way, uh, that, that word you mentioned, half, that, that is, yeah. it's, uh, it's a term for, uh, uh, what, uh, interracial people in Japan? Yeah. Uh, some have trouble um, with that term. So that's why mm. I'm a, a little hesitant, but I don't mind being called that. Some people in the, uh, I, I, I suppose it might have, there's different names for mixed mm. race in Japan. Mm. And I'm okay with Hafu. I, I grew up in a generation that a lot of people who were from mixed race were in the entertainment industry and you mm. often saw them on TV and often saw them in, uh, magazines that mm. I, I grew up like without much prejudice i feel and uh though you know not that wasn't always the case in japan Mm. so hafu is a bit loaded uh, for some individuals yeah i I would say it's definitely it's a very loaded term and and especially the way it comes out in english as well Um, yes yes but it is a very loaded term but it's also a term that is in fairly common use and is not not necessarily meant with malice. Yes, I agree. So I think that's where I've 
taken it without it's without malice um, in my generation, but it's it's different. But boy, boy, does it have a lot of baggage. Yeah, it does. It does have a lot of baggage too, though. So I, I understand that and I respect that as well. So I do change that term uh, depending on who I'm talking to or if I'm talking to another mixed race uh, person in Japan, then I allow, you know, we, mm-hmm. we just identify ourselves. You know, I, we let that happen. So, hmm. yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, well, thank you for sharing so much of that because I think that's a, a really interesting experience that a lot of people kind of want to hear about it because everybody has an interesting experience of their yes. own identity. But I, I think especially um, because of your experience, your, your experience can help other people clarify their own doubts about their yeah. own identity. Um, because it's, it's very out there. It's like you, you can be many different things. Um, and you, you, in a sense, you get to define, you really get to define all that yourself. Yeah, you do. Uh, yeah. Um, which is, which is true. I I think it's like a positive. It's like, it's like true for everyone in a sense, like regardless of where you're from or how you look, you do have some leeway to define yourself. And it's sort of, it's sort of put, uh, there's a very fine point on it in your case, because everybody demands they define yourself Yes. Constantly. So sometimes I help them, and sometimes they they just define me, and I'm I'm okay with that. I think <laughs> I uh, sometimes I correct, and sometimes I don't. And yeah, it's it's okay. I just wow. it's the way I think I embrace the my, the my story. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was that was a pretty deep topic. So um, <laughs> thank, no thank you very much for it sharing there uh actually the the first topic that i said we were going to start out with was we we're 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 in like uh so this is the light topic this is the uh you know there's a new iphone rumor has it there's a new iphone that's about to get released um are you are you thinking of getting the new iphone you know i'm really happy with my se but Mm -hmm. you know every time something comes out for apple i'm looking at it i'm reading everything and uh, looking up the keynote and it's mm. yeah it's exciting every year now at the kind of the same time but I don't I think I'm gonna pass this one it's always this big question mm. big question but mm. I think it's not my year this year how about you Morris right well I mean well we're about a decade yeah. in so it's like you know it, it's it's hard to believe but so I, I have a iPhone 7 yeah. 7 plus and you know I, I yeah. I like it a lot. It's very good. Um, we'll always see with the announcement. I it, there's always like there's the what I say before the <laughs> announcement. There's what I say like a day after <laughs> the announcement, and then there's what I think like three right. months later when it's like oh I should have right. or I shouldn't have like yeah. actually bought it. So I I think uh, for for me I really enjoy having I the the nice yeah camera for sure for sure phone. Uh, so that's one of the yeah, things I look for, definitely. but. Uh, it's always uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. Um, ah, but boy, I'm gonna have to. Right. This yeah. <laughs> this is such a huge like cost. Like every single year, spending like a thousand dollars on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my wow. so I I have I still have a lot of uh, great friends at at Apple, and every year mm-hmm. they're like, Hey, Christine, you know I still work here, so if you just if you want it. And it's always, it's always tempting. <laughs> it's always that that question. And oh my, my friend God. just went ahead and bought bought the SE for me because he's like, I know you want it. It's this time. It's this time. You got you got to <laughs> do it. 
and so it was a you know, sim free and yeah it was a big wow. big jump for me rose gold yeah so, so how are you how are you uh happy with the essay like uh how do you like yeah. it i mean it's so the essay is this is the small one it's the the 4s i think the five the, the five uh, the five, yeah. five five s form factor and yeah i i think i i got this shape uh because i i just like the slenderness of it and mm. i don't i guess i don't have quite big hands i'm just looking at my hands right now i I don't know. I have nothing to compare it with except my other hand. <laughs> but, Would you say it's larger or smaller than the other? Hand? <laughs> it looks like it's the same. <laughs> Damn. Oh. Um, okay. But yeah, my my boyfriend, uh, my partner, he he has the six, the iPhone six. So whenever mm-hmm. I'm trying to turn off his alarm or whatever, I'm like, okay, I think I like the SE. So that's I guess where I get uh. to compare. Uh, yeah. Oh, it, it's, I mean, it's dramatic if you've picked, if you're picking up, like, you know, I'm, I'm using this yes. 7 Plus, which is like, you know, it's like a battleship yeah. compared to the SE. <laughs> and like, you pick up the SE, it's like, well, I, I had no idea a phone could be yeah, this light. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what is this made out of, like, air and paper or something? Yeah, something like that. Maybe that's why uh, it flies out of my hand. Every, and I had to exchange it the <laughs> other day. Thank you, Apple Care Plus. <laughs> Oh, you too. No, I, I I had the exact same thing last week. I've I dropped I've dropped my seven oh. plus like more than a, I I drop it pretty much like every day. So I knew I dropped it more than a hundred times this year. But it's just that one time where you're in this one restaurant that has like the perfect like a solid rock oh. floor that is designed to destroy <laughs> iPhone screens and. That, was, that it. was it. But yes, <laughs> thank you. You know, the the one thing, you know, there's not a sales promotion, but having worked yes. in the Apple store um, and seen many people who were very happy to have discovered yeah. Apple Care Plus, I was, I still buy Apple Care Plus and they delivered a new, brand new iPhone to my door Amazing. the next day. So Is that a plug? Is that a plug? Are like, we in commercial? Are we in commercial? <laughs> <laughs> we are not in commercial. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> cool. Uh, so I, I I promised a discussion of leadership. Uh, let's. Uh, so so you've been in a number of different re- leadership roles. So you you were in that uh, first, not officially as a leader, but then officially as a store manager uh, at Apple Retail in Japan. Uh, then you were a uh, manager, a people manager. Uh, I think you managed a number of different people. Uh, a number of different trainers at Amazon. Uh, and now you are doing something completely different, which is uh, managing a first grade classroom. So I, I think uh, pr- probably the first question people are going to have is, why are you managing a first grade classroom as opposed to like, you know, be- being a, a people manager, a project manager or something like that at a tech company? Yeah, um, very good question. And I would say... I mean, besides the cliche, it's very rewarding to work at as an educator. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually a long-term goal to be a teacher. So I, oh. my family was also, they were educators, my parents. And so I knew this mm-hmm. type of lifestyle where you only work really 180 days a year and the rest is paid mm-hmm. vacation. So I knew mm-hmm. this life. I also knew uh, that international schools uh, caters to the expat community. So 
I knew I'd always mm-hmm. hear interesting stories of, from families and from the kids. And so I knew this life and mm-hmm. I could have just been a teacher. And I think that was the direction it was actually going. Mm-hmm. And when I was, when it was 2011, I was in Korea and it mm-hmm. was the tsunami up in Sendai. And I had my mom in Japan. Right. So I actually right. cut my contract short in Korea to come back uh, to be with my mother. I mm-hmm. I needed to be with her. And at the time I had a really, well, I still have a good relationship with Apple, but um, that time Apple gave me a job in their corporate office in Tokyo. And they said they needed mm-hmm. a teacher. So I got mm-hmm. hired as a teacher. So that sort of put my teaching career on hold. Though, uh, hmm. at the time I was in education sales, so I still work with schools and promoted the product. Mm-hmm. So two things I really love, the product, Apple and education. So I still continued to be an educator or of, of some sort, like an influence to uh, education. Mm. And mm. I would say my career, uh, career, yeah, maybe people see it as changing dramatically. But I'm still the same person, passionate about leadership and education and technology, may I add. So the the mm. thread never cut. I feel like it was just this thread and I was following uh, where things would take me. So th- things that were need-based, so I needed to move back to Japan. Or that's what I felt. And mm. uh, people were very, I had lots of great mentors and great support. So that's who gave me the job. And that's who have has always continued to give me jobs, great mentors and supporters. So even at, even at these big, you know, tech companies, like I, I've always had great mentors and people uh, wanting to work with me and me wanting to work with them. So I, yeah, mm. so yeah, it does feel like a dramatic big jump. Um, but every time I've changed a career, no matter how similar it might have seemed in the last job, it was a big jump, no matter what, whether it was a different mm-hmm. location or, you know, different type of computer um, or, you know, <laughs> different colleagues, different age groups, uh, different management style. It was still kind of the same. But what I would say about the three perhaps differences or the three places, mm-hmm. like how different they were. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess the age groups definitely differed who I was working with. And mm-hmm. so in, in like uh, Apple yes. retail, it's a fairly uh, like college age. 20s yeah. And 30s I, yeah. Especially. I would say that. Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, there's, a, there's, I mean, actually as a retail store, Apple has a very, yeah. Yeah. I would say that range. as well. Um, but they're definitely older. people. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose like, cause it was retail, you could work from when you're 18 and then up. So, mm-hmm. you know, we had young managers, we had veteran managers, we had um, first time managers like like I was. And, um, you know, it was it was diff- like, yeah, definitely people came from different walks of life. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, so, you know, very different uh, where at international schools, uh, I guess, depending on the country as well as, um, yeah, the the countries kind of differ with with the age group but um in asia you find a lot of uh, young teachers first-time teachers so they just 
graduated and they just got their teaching certificate. So mm. they're about 22, 23 and up. And mm. uh, most of the schools that I've been at the in Japan, at least, the average age is 30s. And、mm. I came in at a young age, like 23, when I started as well at international schools. But my、mm. colleagues were always kind of in their 30s. And now that I'm back after like five years of, of corporate,、um, I found a lot of people the same age. So I'm, I'm 33 now. And a lot of people、mm. were like, oh, you're, oh, wow, same age. And, Same music and same <laughs> jokes, or you know, like references、oh, no. to、uh, yeah, TV,、wow. and music, and movies. And, and、uh, yeah, I would say that、yeah. the, the big jump was not, was not the you know, from Amazon to grade one teacher, it was more,、um, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't remember a big jump, I guess. Like everything was always such a transition. So, no matter what、mm. job I had. But the why, yeah, the why is a bit,、um, yeah, I don't know. It was a good timing. It was always, it's always been good timing when I get a new job, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it does sound like it's sort of this arc because I, I think it's not, it's not that you are going from Amazon to something totally unexpected. It's that you do have this kind of teaching arc where you, you start. Uh, as a teacher and a technologist, and then you, you follow the thread and it takes you through,、uh, through selling teaching technology and teaching teaching technology at Apple uh, to uh, managing people within the retail stores to then、um, managing people at Amazon. And in a way, it's almost as though the Amazon part is a little bit far from, from the sort of the natural progression. It's, it's like it's a little bit far from teaching. Yeah. And now you've kind of moved to the other side of the same spectrum where now it's more focused on teaching. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. I'm a homeroom teacher now, not a specialist for technology. <laughs> yeah. It's a straight homeroom teacher. Wow.、Um, yeah. W- what is it like?、Um, I come into class every day, and as soon as the bell rings, kids come in. Mm hmm. And we run through the schedule, but it almost doesn't matter to them because they're just super excited about every minute of the day. <laughs> and and it's, how would you contrast it with your other experience?、Uh, I went into an office, sat at a desk, and may talk to people over chat or by phone in India or China or different parts of Japan or my colleagues. On a conference call、mm-hmm. with one of their back towards me, but we're on the same conference call. <laughs> that was, that was the type <laughs> of life. And no, not a lot of excitement, except if we missed a target or、uh, missed a deadline for a report.、Mm. And we hope that the time difference would, would make it all go away. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I would say that was, it's, it's very different working with,、um, Only adults. And then when uh, people um, who are children, you know, like really children, like they、mm. need to be taken care of and they are completely dependent on you,、mm-hmm. that is definitely different. So I've trained in adult learning theory. So、mm-hmm. I, I feel that I was well equipped to, you know, work with adults or 
you know, harness their, their energy as well and, and, you know, be, be a good manager to people. But it, it was challenging. It, um, adults often, um, they are better at negotiating and Mm. they are better at, uh, yeah, just, it's, there's nothing to be taught really to adults. I think that was the Mm. most challenging thing when I'm so passionate about education. Hmm. So I'm passionate about my own education and Mm -hmm. I'm passionate about mentoring others. I guess Mm -hmm. you would call it mentoring in, in the adult world. (laughs) And uh, in in my world now, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm teaching students, but I'm also, yeah, I guess I still mentor. Um, But Uh, yeah, that's the, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So uh, let's, um, let's say there's, there's a lot of different things here. Let's, I I did actually want to ask, you mentioned mentoring and, uh, how have you found mentors or how, how do you interact with mentors? How does that interaction kind of work? Sure. Um, like what does it mean to be a mentor and how, how do you mentor people and how do you receive mentoring? I, I've had really good examples and models for mentoring. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm just, I follow what they've done. So some of the things that they've done for me is uh, they listen they don't mm-hmm. judge. So they don't judge. And they're not telling you, but they're trying to um, make you arrive to a decision on your own. Mm-hmm. So it's quite simple to just give someone the answer or almost be condescending when that person probably ar- already knows the answer for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I try to, just like my mentors have, we try to discuss and we try to unravel, you know, why, why I'm not confident about the next step or, mm. you know, what, what's the hesitation? And we just try to unravel it. Mm. And usually the mentors end up saying what I, you know, didn't want to in the first place. Like, just try, you know, <laughs> just try. And it's a, what we call in teaching, it's, it's kind of like telling a child, um, not yet. You're not there yet. Mm. Um, not just try again, but you give them choices mm. so that you motivate them to try again or try a different path. And I feel my mentors have always done that for me, where I was just seeing one way to go. And that's probably why I, I didn't take this. Like, if it was a challenging step, mm. I was so you afraid of, of what my manager would say or what my colleagues would say or my, what my direct reports would say. So mm. a mentor often listened, no judgment and helped me get to a space where I felt safe and I would try on my own mm. and we would develop a script together. We would, we would practice role play if I needed it. Mm. If it was a presentation, um, I might record it and play it back to myself, or I might just reach out to a total random, you know, ex-colleague mm. to do my presentation with. So I think there were mentors within the companies I worked in, but I also reached out to um, a solid network of people I've I've kept in touch with and I've continued to reach out with, like you. Thank you. You're one uh, of my mentors. Oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope, thank you. I hope that that helped. I mean, I see a not such a 
huge difference maybe between mentoring adults and mentoring children. Mm-hmm. But I do see a big difference between managing adults and managing children. That's a very different, mm. I think, approach. So, uh, yeah, before we get on to that, there were sort of two things that I picked up there. Um, one of them was that, you know, I, I think a common people mis- uh, a common mistake that people make when they're trying to give advice is simply telling people the answer or telling people what they should do. Whereas, you know, and it's, it's, it's especially if you really care about that person, it's very easy to get so emotionally involved in the situation that you don't want them to make the wrong decision. And you really do want to tell them what the right answer is. But in fact, um, you know, everybody has to find out for themselves. And you have to, you know, you can give your input, but, you know, you, a really good mentor, you also, you have to spend much more time listening and understanding where they're at and sort of presenting your perspective, but without, but also acknowledging that it's just your perspective and it's limited and it's not, it's not the end when it comes to uh, the right decision. Um, and I think the other thing that I picked up on was that uh, part thing that you mentioned about having a network. And it's sort of, you know, of reaching out to ex-colleagues or of reaching out to people that you've met uh, to ask them for advice and ask them for uh, help with the situation. I think that's so important because, you know, I know we do, you know, it's, it's very easy to like see people's updates on Facebook and think that we have some kind of connection with these people or that they're in our network. But we really have to reach, reach out and talk to people. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, uh, have all these sort of connections around them, but it's not that they aren't, I'd say use is the wrong word, but they aren't actually, or it's like use, take advantage. It's, it's not that people aren't taking advantage of their connections, aren't using their connections. It's that they aren't uh, proactively reaching out to their friends as often as they could. Yeah. So part part, part of it is there is, there is a, a, a benefit to reaching out to your friends sometimes. Yes, say that. So, so at the end, you you mentioned something about managing adults versus managing children. What what would you say the difference is there? Mm, let's see, yeah. Now that I've said it, I should say something. <laughs> about <laughs> or, or we can go a different direction. <laughs> no, no. I it, there is uh, definitely a difference. Um, so I think I think what I wanted to say also with my mentoring is that mm-hmm. mentoring and managing is also there's a difference. So. Mm. So let's let's say I'm I'm managing, mm-hmm. and then versus I'm mentoring. So mm. I I would say managing is basically telling people what to do, and <laughs> and you know that type of leadership style where it's that way. But I found that I'm kind of like I may have the presence, and um, I may have the trust, and people come up to me, and I'm easy to talk to, and I'm a good sounding board. Mm-hmm. But I would say that my management style is maybe not the I'm going to tell you how to do it. Like, I mm-hmm. know all the answers. I, I'm not that type of um, mm-hmm. management style. Mm-hmm. So so to me, the, the, the type of um, management style is, for me, is mentoring. Like, that's what I'm comfortable with. But huh. that's a type of management style that some people don't want that they just want you to tell them what to do because they're crunched on time or um yeah they're crunched on time basically i think and so i've been i've so in the 
in the in the education setting mm-hmm. like that type of mentoring is quite is really valued it's like highly valued oh like like the, there, the one-on-one like listening and mentoring as management yes yes so the kids expect that the kids expect you to listen to them and empathize mm-hmm. and uh but when you're you're actually directing adults you're actually managing uh somewhere like a retail store which is really fast paced and a lot of things are changing and mm-hmm. you really have to have a great um you know you have to be in sync with with the your people and everyone and the other managers and then i worked at amazon which is also like really um high paced so mm. and you know when you're when you're in these situations it's it's uh you could spend a lot of time on mentoring mm-hmm. but my managers never expected that at retail and at i mean when you come down to it mm-hmm. neither place expected um time to m- mentor there's no time like this was a business it was it was time crunch and you know dollar yen being lost like um just by like it was called it was it was looked at like stalling huh. you know it was it's like you got to be faster than this e- even if both companies you know hr said they valued um mm-hmm. this type of coaching you know this type of develop a career path with your direct reports it was it was not how i imagined it was mm. so now that i'm back in the kind of education setting i i know that this is where probably my thoughts of mentoring and of training or whatever you know all these um words like how i where i came from mm. so so um yeah i mean i had my style of management but um Huh. So, yeah. so in in a way, like I mean, I de- <laughs> it, it, it's funny to hear you say that you know management is essentially like telling people what to do because I mean my my sort of like view of you as a manager is like you're you're like the ultimate empathetic manager like thanks <laughs> <laughs> like like and uh, it's it's interesting because uh, you definitely had a a kind a kind of gravity to what you were saying in that it would. I, I think if you did tell people what to do, people would take it very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. But I think people also definitely had a trust in you that I think I think was probably developed over a lot of the more sort of uh, what you contrasted it with the like uh, mentoring style of management. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that sound fairly accurate? Or? Yeah, I, I would. I'm just you know I had like I said I had really good good mentors along the way. Uh, great, great teachers, great mentors, and they all—they all saw something in me that I didn't quite see. Mm-hmm. I, I would—I always explained myself as kind of like raw talent, and they—they they knew these mentors just knew and had a great time trying to coach me. They—they mm-hmm. they saw it as a challenge because I was pretty raw, and then mm-hmm. they harnessed it and. I just grew so big <laughs> and yeah, um, I really appreciate it. That's uh, yeah. Like I said, I, I sometimes don't, don't see myself. I'm really hard on myself and mm. um, 
I don't compliment myself a lot and I keep striving to be more empathetic and more kind and listen more. And Mm. it's, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I've definitely, I mean, like from the managers I've had in my career, I've had some, uh, you know, some managers uh, probably earlier in my career were kind of generic in that, you know, we didn't really, we didn't have one-on-ones and it was just kind of, you know, it was like, well, you know, here's what we're going to do, so let's do it. Uh, but then uh, when I was at Microsoft, I actually had one of the best managers of my career. And that's sort of where I was introduced to the idea of having weekly one-on-ones. And that's something that I've kind of tried to do in my current position. And what I've found is that having that weekly time to just sit down and talk is incredibly valuable because, you know, I mean, everybody wants to talk about something different. And, you know, each one-on-one is a little bit, is is very different because, uh, you know, some, some people want to talk mostly about uh, things that are blocking them on the things that they're working on. Or, but some people want to talk more about, you know, their, their focus in their career. Or, and some people want to talk about, you know, how is the company doing? And so, and what's really interesting to me as well is that even though these tend to be people that I see every single day and, you know, will often have lunch with, having that like one-on-one time, I suddenly learn so much more about what's actually going on in the team, even though I've been in the same room with these people all week and we've been talking constantly. So that's sort of my own perspective there. Mm. But yeah, it's so, so it's, it's interesting that there's, (laughs) <laughs> I mean, definitely Amazon is known as kind of like, I mean, there have been a lot of articles about it being kind of a terrible place to work and being like super high pressure, super high stress, not a lot of uh, mentorship or, you know, one-on-one time or that sort of thing. Was Is that sort of similar to your experience there? Yeah, it's a company that's uh, really, how, how do I say, really successful hmm. and you can feel it. It's like pulsing. So therefore people work that, I mean, they're not wrong the way they work. I have no, I have no, I didn't, I don't think I really had an issue of why they were working Mm. that way. It was like stoic. Like a Mm. lot of people are very stoic and I, I guess I wasn't that type of worker. I, um, I would say that I like a more balanced and mm. when I went to Amazon, there was no balance. In fact, um, you get paid for overtime oh, or, wow. yeah, I mean, it was, it was a thing like you, it, it was like, it was no problem to the company. If whatever you work, we will pay you for it. Wow. And, but nobody was told you have to work overtime. People just did it. So this was the ethic. Mm-hmm. And I, and when, you know, myself or my team, like we would talk about balance. The the team was not happy and I became not happy either because the rest of the company, when you talk about balance, there's, Mm -hmm. there is talk like, you know, like um, maybe from HR, you know, let's take Mm. care of yourselves. Like make sure you, you know, you're, (laughs) but it's, it's funny. Like the, the way that, you know, like there's leadership principles. So everyone is the leader. That's, that's not any different than maybe Apple. I mean, uh, but I think the way that the, the reason why the company is so successful is, is because the way 
people work there. Mm. And you're never told, um, you're never told work more hours. Mm-hmm. You're just told work harder mm. or what can be better. Mm. And um, oftentimes the phrase was, you know, bar raiser. Is that, is that raising the bar? Uh. And I only heard it really as in, what do you, it's not an idiom. It's just, it's, it's a catch. It's a catchphrase, right? Like when I was growing <laughs> up, like what would raise the bar or, you know, he or she really raised the bar. And this was me at work, like hearing this word so often in meetings and why people got, um, you know, asked to get promote, like why people uh-huh. got a promotion or why people didn't get the promotion. Like this was why, because you weren't working harder. Like that was the ethic. Right. And and you kinda you you kind of know that like it's like it it yeah, I mean I, I, I get like the idea of the phrase like bar raiser, which is like, hey, this person just proved that you can do a hundred and twenty percent of the work in the same time that everybody thought you could only do a hundred percent of the work. So they've raised the bar, the new standard is a hundred and twenty percent. But it's so hard. And I think the ideal is like, oh, we, we've discovered new ways of working that like make everybody more efficient and everybody is more efficient. And like we're working fewer hours and producing twice as much. But in fact, it's like it's so easy to get into this culture where it's just this like extreme com- competition where everybody is like, well, you know, Everybody is not only working insane hours and overworking themselves, but people are trying to get ahead by not helping their colleagues and by ensuring that, you know, you get into like a, you know, stack ranking hell or whatever. Um, And it's kind of, I don't know, it definitely, and it's, it's very, uh, these work cultures are are very complex and they're very weird. And it's like, I definitely, you know, I also really want balance in my life. Like I want to work efficiently and I want to work well and I want to work hard but I also want to limit my work to one part of my life and it's interesting because I've actually managed I I feel like I've managed to I I work at a place where that's almost as close as to realization as it can get Mm. where on the other hand there's the flip side of it where if you're not careful it's very easy to let that slip into a thing where you're not actually getting enough done and it's sort of figuring out that balance between it's like you want everybody to work hard and enjoy their work and be productive, but you also don't want to like end up in one of these like death spirals where everybody's like competing with one another and trying to like do more hours and, you know, compete more and is only focused on um, and, and it loses their entire private life. Mm. Um, and, and there's there's definitely this phenomenon as well where it's like, you know, people, if if you don't build a culture that like makes people, if you don't build a culture where people go home at a reasonable time, people will actually, you know, in, in Japan, in the U S all around the world, people will work too many hours. Like if they're getting paid overtime and if it's clear that they can earn a big bonus by working insane hours, um, they will do things that are completely unhealthy for them as individuals. So I mean, it's hard to say. It it sounds like sort of like nanny state kind of thing. Like you have to go home at six p.m. or something. But I mean, if you're not thinking about that as a company, you're just going to end up in this place where you know everybody is overworking themselves or people are making terrible decisions. Yeah, I agree. So I I don't know what the point was there, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, uh, yeah, it sounds like your experience of Amazon was fairly uh, 
representative of what has been said about Amazon. Yeah, I I'm not saying any. I think it's cliche what I'm saying, I, <laughs> but it's not. But you know, it's funny. It's not the reason why I left. You know, huh. I mean that part would be cliche. But I I would say I didn't I didn't leave because every, it's so hardworking and so fast paced and all this. I I learned a lot mm-hmm. in a really short time because of how hard people work there. And what amazing work is done there that I, I would say I, I left in awe of my colleagues and my mentors and, um, who I was reporting to. And I was just in awe. I'm still in awe. I, I can't believe I, I work there. And wow. it was brief, you know, albeit it was, it was brief, mm-hmm. but that's, how fast I, I learned about the place because of how fast people were working. Wow. So, so two, two connected questions yes. are like, would you do it again? And would you say you left too soon or too late or just at the right time? I left at the really right timing mm. for me. Yeah. Um, and w- would you do it again? No. <laughs> I'd, work, I'd, work, I'd work at Google. <laughs> what's yeah. next yeah it's a big company next? <laughs> i definitely no. get the impression that google is like a much 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 more fun place to yeah. work yeah 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 it's much more healthy like work-life balance. yeah yeah um let's see i i couldn't pass up uh this opportunity at the school hmm. i you know the hiring at schools is actually november Mm-hmm. through December for the really, um, you know, schools that try to get all their hiring done then. Mm-hmm. And, and I contacted the school in May thinking that I won't, um, I won't work, uh, at a school for a year or two. Like I felt mm-hmm. I missed the mark. Like I was, I was going to stay at Amazon. Mm-hmm. And when I emailed the, um, you know, my current school and they said they had an opening and they asked me if I would start in September. So I contacted them in May and they asked me if I wanted to start in September. <laughs> wow. I was like, yes, please. <laughs> I couldn't pass it up. Otherwise, I wouldn't work at a school for maybe a year or two. So wow. I would say that I picked, it was the right timing. And wow. yeah, this is my second year as a grade one teacher. And yeah, I'm, I'm uh it's I'm still I definitely still think, you know, would I do it again and I keep looking, you know, my my LinkedIn profile is updated. I I have an agent, I have a headhunter like looking mm-hmm. for jobs for me. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I have interviews like at companies and and I I don't know, I I look at all the benefits of of being um here now at this uh, as an educator mm. and the the balance that you know we both sh- like talked about earlier and needing that balance i mm. i never knew i needed this balance i always thought that i'd be working at somewhere like apple somewhere like amazon and i mean of course i dreamed of being an educator because i knew what that life was like long vacations and mm. balance life and be able to read a book and not feel guilty that I'm not checking I you know uh, I'm not on a call with somebody or or checking you know e- replying to an email and mm. it's 
it's been a, you know, it's, it's been a change and I, I really needed this job. And so it was great timing. I had no idea that, that, uh, that I needed this for me. So yeah, I would say it was good timing. I definitely dream of, you know, doing this again, um, maybe at different companies. I was looking into ESOP because I, I value mm-hmm. their, their outlook on their product and their employees and just, um, their vision. So I was looking at that for a while. I was looking at a lot of hospitality jobs because mm. uh, Tokyo Olympics is coming up and right. a lot of people are going to be in Japan and they don't have enough, enough hotels and Airbnbs <laughs> and, you know, and en- enough. So definitely I, I keep looking. Uh, mm-hmm. and, but I think I'm going to stay for, for a while in this gig. I don't know. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's so, it's so interesting. Like the idea of just, you know, no, and because everybody else in corporate life is always complaining about like not having enough time. And in a way, like having time to read a book is this incredible luxury that, I mean, I certainly have on my like to-do list for this year, like read these books. And it's like, oh no, I'm like, how can I not find time to read these books? But there's always something going on. And it's like, I can see how that could be very appealing. Yeah, I used to be someone who would always have something going on um, every night, every weekend, friends or party or networking event, mm-hmm. and and then always trying to find even more things right, to do. Right. And then you know, I don't know the life of like canceling, and I I canceled a lot. And, you know, I let, I feel like I let down a lot of people because I, I just was so overwhelmed with, with all these plans. And yeah, yeah. now, uh, now I end work at 345. I'm gone by 346. This is PM, right? Wow. Wow. And, um, you know, I drink a coffee or do yoga at home and then I have a whole nother like eight hours to do something with the rest wow. of my day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but I would say that because I had all this experience, like mentoring and managing and corporate life and corporate style of life, mm-hmm. I have the stamina to work with these 12 new students every day. Mm-hmm. I have the stamina to keep up with their energy and their life <laughs> and their excitement. And I have the patience uh-huh. to to be present with them. And... If I, if I, if I still was making all these plans and, and having that, like, kind of, I, I guess I didn't know until I had this job, a really unbalanced life, uh-huh. then I couldn't be there for, for, um, these students. And wow. I, ima- I, I, I look back and I imagine, like, I wonder if I had all this space in my head. I wonder if I could have been even better, you know? at my job i just yeah i wonder about it but if if you had if you had just started as an educator and uh well started at a school and stayed at a school the entire time uh no more like if i was the corporate employee Mm -hmm. and i had all this headspace to to be Mm -hmm. more patient and be more of a mentor i wonder if if i would have been even a better worker like i mean i was i was fine the way i was but i was Mm -hmm. i was i'm wondering if uh yeah, but it's not possible in, when you're a <laughs> corporate worker. It's just the way, that's the way you work. And 
Yeah, um, it's full on all the time. Oh yeah, all the time. But I I feel like I that stamina that I built really helps now. And mm. you know, sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, what if I lose it? You know, what if I lose <laughs> that stamina? <laughs> Then uh-huh. I'll probably go back to corporate and then get some stamina. But for <laughs> for now, I'm keeping up and I'm getting all this work done so quickly. And I'm a really good employee. Like, wow. Yeah. So so if if you uh, if you lose the stamina to work with like first graders, <laughs> you're gonna take a, a vacation to the corporate world and like you know manage a massive department of hundreds of people and like you know rebuild all the stamina rebuild all the like you know all the like the the rock solid everything and then like come back to teach first graders again yeah that's right watch out corporate world i might be back (laughs) (laughs) wow okay i think this is probably a good place to kind of wrap up um any any final thoughts or recommendations or uh and and finally, I guess, where can people find you online if they're interested or? Yeah, sure. Um, well, come visit Kyoto. I'm always up for coffee uh, and just hearing your story. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm Christine Kawano Yuziak. Mm-hmm. You could probably look me up as Christine Kawano and you'll find me profile picture reading to kids. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah, look me up. I'm always up for uh, chat like this, like Morris did tonight, and uh, or yeah, coffee. I do, I do yes. love that stuff right now. <laughs> also, just uh, Kyoto is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. I think oh, and, it um, is. Yeah, uh, I visited Christine there, and I highly recommend uh, Kyoto and visiting Christine <laughs> together. <or> great. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, great. Um, I hope we can talk again. Most definitely, Morris. Thanks for so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.